We are going to be in the book of Acts. If you would turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17, I'd sure appreciate that. Acts 17. We're, we're navigating a series called You'll Be My Witnesses. Uh, this is number three. We started out talking about the heart of a witness and, and really diving into that we need to have a heart behind the message that we share, right? That that, that heart should say that the gospel has transformed me first, that, that Jesus has meant everything to me. And if Jesus has meant everything to me, then we are going to, to let it mean everything to those around us as well. We will value Jesus and esteem Jesus uh, with all of our heart. Uh, then we talked about last week uh, this idea of you will be my witnesses coming from Acts Chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you'll, be my, you'll receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. It comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem, right? And in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, last week we talked about what it was like to be a witness in Jerusalem. Now, talking, uh, talking about geography, that was here. That's local. Like, like this is my, that's in my town. That's where I live. But it's also a cultural thing as well. And, and what I kind of talked about last week was those that are in your Jerusalem are not only here close, but, but they're very like-minded, or you kind of share similar things, and you're, you constantly are running into each other, and you have kind of similar likes, and, and, and you may not be similar in, in faith, but overall in society and in culture, you kind of uh, are marching to the same beat, right? And that's, that's kind of your Jerusalem. Um, and we talked about how to share, and one of the main purposes uh, and things, or things to do to share with people that are in our Jerusalem to start off, and I mentioned the things last week would carry on to this week, but the, the, one of those things was, was the proper fear, right? We have to to fear, have no fear, and to grow in fear. The idea is that we should not fear those around us, but we should have a fear and reverence of God who will be the judge of all, right? So our, our, our desire to share Christ with other people, to, uh, to get into conversation with other people and to share the gospel should come from my love and reverence for what Christ has done for me and that, that there was a time when I was living in fear of the judgment of God, but because of Christ and what he's done for me and through faith in Christ, he has adopted me and made, made me part of his family. I now don't have a fear of God. I live in respect, respect and reverence of God and my fear is not of people, but I have a fear for people. You see, there's a difference there, isn't it? So when we walk out in this, in this life, we've got these doors, we should not like, be afraid to speak to somebody. We should be afraid of not speaking to somebody because we're afraid for them. We want them to know the hope and the love and the forgiveness that is found through faith in Jesus Christ, just like you and I have found and experienced. And today we go a little further geographically, you could say, but also uh, spiritually or, or relationally. So geographically, Judea and Samaria were outside of Jerusalem, right? They were like the outskirts. And, and Samaria, we'll see, they were outcasts. They were, maybe had some Jewish uh, hint in, in their beliefs, and we'll see some of that today, but it was, it was, kind, it was far, farther away from your standard Jerusalem, uh, you know, Israelites, Jewish beliefs. And so for you and I, what does that look like? It, well, it still can be in our own community. It doesn't mean we have to go down the street 50 miles, right? We, we can find people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different beliefs right here. Amen? I mean, it's all over. And in fact, Mount Shasta is kind of an epicenter of that, isn't it? The spiritual hotspot of like, let's just go and have these, these words and, and talk about spiritual mysticism stuff and, and, and kind of maybe pretend it has uh, thoughts or, or connections to Christ or Jesus or the God, man, or the universe consciousness or whatever you want to call it. They call it whatever it is, right? They, but they, they're kind of clinging to maybe some words that don't mean the same things. But they're, so there's a semblance of familiarity. But what they believe is something really totally different. So today, we're going to look at how do, we, how do we communicate? How do we talk? How do we share the gospel? How do we meet with people 
in that regard. And, and it's, it's interesting because next, next week's going to be really the tools day. Because uh, well, the uttermost parts of the earth, it's going to be pretty short of how we share that way and, how, and what we do. But uh, next week, I really want to give you some real practical evan- evangelistic tools that you can use, not only here, but in your family and with your friends and your coworkers and in the community, and then even further than that, and how you can uh, really have some practical tools. Today, I'm going to give you some of those questions to ask again, like what are some questions you can ask to start conversations or, or talk with people uh, to get, kind of get on the same page. But but tomorrow or the next week is going to be more of the practical side of it. So how do we uh, how do we be a witness in Judea and Samaria is the question we're going to answer today. Okay, I'm going to pray for us and then I'll read this this passage in Acts and we'll get to work. Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace. We thank you that you've you've drawn us together, God, and and that we are united here under the banner of Christ. God, help us to humble ourselves and God not to be here. Uh, with our own preference, our own priorities, but God, with yours. God, I ask you that you would speak through me and you'd use me, and God, you would humble all of us to to be open and receptive to your word and what it has to say to us today. And God, how how is it that we can minister to those that, that don't have Christ, that don't have hope? We trust you with that. We ask these things, we pray these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 34. So Acts 17 and 22 through 34. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live under the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your very own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they, heard about, uh, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed. Amen? This is God's word. 
Uh, today, as I read that passage, I, I kind of waffled back and forth what I wanted to open with. And, and this would be almost more, more considered like to the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul's in Athens. He's not like in the, the region around Israel, right? But, but some of the same principles, I think, are found here as, as how we minister to those who are in our Samaria. So I used that text today for that. And we'll kind, of, we'll kind of see that as we go through. So looking at the, number one, uh, being a witness in Judea and Samaria. Number one is this, uh, we, we are ambassadors of life. We, we need to understand that we are an ambassador of life. And, and when I say that, you'll see like this text, it, we, we see a lot of um, people out there in that Samaria hungering, looking for something, wanting to set some kind of religious system up. Even as we talked in that text I just read, right? He, he says, I see you're very religious, you're very religious. You, you're, you're wanting to hold on to something. You're wanting, you're wanting to claim something as bigger than you. Do you see what the problem was, though, there? He said, here's the issue. You want to claim religious. You want to be, be religious, but you're, you're, you're doing so and, and making something bigger than you, but you're, you're, actually do, you're actually creating that. How can we, how can you and I as people, create something that's actually bigger than us? We created it. Do you understand? Like if I painted a picture and put it on a wall as an object of worship, I created that. It didn't, it didn't do anything. I, I put it on the wall. How, why would I worship something I created? But that's what we do. We worship kind of what we make as an idol, not realizing it's stone and precious metals and things that we've created ourselves. Uh, so there's this, this pursuit in life that, that we see uh, in, in the people in Samaria that they're, they're hungering for this religious experience. They're hungering for something to claim as bigger than themselves. All the while, the secret is they made it. They established it. They determined it. So ultimately, they're their own God. You understand that? So if we're really to search for something bigger than ourselves, our search needs to go further. And Paul talked about that in that passage a minute ago. But we are ambassadors of life. I want to read that passage of Scripture that is your memory verse for this, uh, this month. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Let's stop there for a moment, just thinking about that. If, if we are to be ambassadors of life, we need to know where life came from. We need to know where we have found life, and, and that life has been found through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes that. He says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you have life. That's where we find life. The old passes away, and see, the new has come. The great thing, I need to write this in your notes, he makes all things new. He makes all things new. Not the God you create, not the idol that you worship, not, not your own pride or your own ego or your own thoughts. He makes all things new. So if he makes all things new, then you and I have to humble ourselves before him in faith and trust that he will make us new and give us life. That's a beautiful thing. And, and for most of us in this room, I would say that we, we know that. We've experienced that. We, we have new life. We've seen how Christ has made us new then you're an ambassador, and I'm an ambassador. That we have a message. We know who makes all things new, and we know it's not me. We know it's not you. And we know it's not the idol that we can come up with or, or the, the security blanket of your checking account that you think you have. It's not that. It's Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ. Everything is from God, it says, who has reconciled to us, or, or us to himself through Christ 
and given us the ministry of reconciliation. This word reconcile, it means to fix and resolve. And see, this is something that you and I hopefully understand, but, but those in Samaria and Judea don't necessarily get. Unbelievers don't understand there's a, different, there, there's a, there's a, a separation that's happened, that there's a problem that, has, that needs fixing and resolving. The Bible says all have sinned, right, and fallen short of God's glory, that, that we, are, we are separated from God because of our sin. He's holy, He's perfect, He's pure, and we are not. And the wages of sin is death and separation. It's, it's eternal. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, right? That's the promise, that, that we have life through Christ, not through a, a better program or the next self-help book that comes out or whatever religious system of mysticism I've set up. It's not going to work. It's through faith in Christ. And, and when we become reconciled, when, when that relationship is fixed, and how does it get fixed? It, it's fixed through the cross, right? Where, where I deserve to die, Jesus died in my place. That's an amazing, amazing act of love. And he says, I'm the way. Come to me and you'll find forgiveness. Come to me and you can be made clean. Come to me and I will give you a righteousness you never earned, you never deserved. You can never get on your own. You can make it up. You, your little idols would never produce it for you. Only Christ can. So we come to faith in him and, and we're new and, and he's reconciled us to God through what he has done. When Jesus was killed, when he was murdered on the cross, he actually laid down his life, didn't he? He did it in your place and in my place so that we could be brought near to God. That, that relationship that was broken between us and God because of our sin and because of our ways can now be made whole and fixed because of the forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ. The wrath of God should have been on me, but it got put on Jesus for me. So if I have faith in Christ, now I can stand before God in a resolved relationship, reconciled to Him. He goes on, that is in Christ... What was God doing in Christ? God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. There, there's a disconnect, though, for believers. I think you and I, in our, in our ego and in our pride, maybe in our shame, we don't like to talk about, this is what I was, this is how I, how I have been, this is the sin that I carry, this is... This is my, my past person, my old person. We don't like to talk about that, right? We want to kind of bury that and say, oh, it's, I know, it's not, not a big deal. I'm just, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm doing my religious thing now. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Why? Because one, you're burying the old person, but it's still there. You're like pretending it's like something bad, bad that you can never bring up. When Jesus says, I, I made all things new. If, you're, if you have faith in Christ, I've, I've forgiven you, right? The old has passed away, and th see, I've made all things new. In order to live like we, he's made all things new, we have to say, you know what? This is who I was, but I'm not that anymore. Christ has changed everything for me. And see, the people of Samaria, the people in our Samaria, this, this religious mysticism people, they understand this too. They understand they want to be new. They want to find life. That's what They spend all of their energy on, on these different religious systems to bring them that but none of them ever really fulfill. But Jesus does, and we know that. So we should be committed to this message of reconciliation to them. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is, right? If we have an ambassador to a foreign country, that person is, it has a lot of credentials in that country, right? You would not want to make me an ambassador of, well, any country, right? Maybe, maybe Canada, right? Maybe Canada. I, was, I live close to Canada. But, but if, if you've if studied the culture, if you know the language, if you understand the people, 
That's who we want to be an ambassador. So for you and I to be ambassadors for Christ and ambassadors of life, we have to know Christ and know that he's given us life and know that we need life. So we, we can share that with people. We, we, how dare we go out and say, well, just, just kind of get your act together so you can bury your sins. No, that's not. We don't want to form people into this religious system. that They already do that. We want to let them know your sins can be forgiven and you can have life and freedom and, and walk in that freedom and walk in faith in the Son of God. And he brings life. He gives life to us. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Paul says that. He's ma- God's making an appeal through us. That means use your words, your heart. God's made all things new in you to share that with someone else. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. When was the last time you pled with a friend or a family member, someone, someone, a coworker? Be reconciled to God. Get your relationship right with God. When was the, that's what we're, we're called to do. He, God, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You don't have to have it figured out. The, the, the people in our Samaria don't have to have it figured out. Jesus already figured it out. We've got to unfigure it out, right? And, and, and all the things we pretend we know, we've got to get rid of and say, okay, I'm, I'm just coming plainly to Jesus. All I want is Jesus, and I want more of him. And, and he's the one that brings life. He's the one that gives forgiveness. He's the one that lets us have a righteousness that was never earned or deserved. He took on our sin. That's the message that we share with people as, as we are ambassadors of life. In Acts, that verse I read a minute ago at the opening, uh, as Paul, Paul does this from verse 21, or verse 26 rather, in Acts 17. It says, from one man, he, he has made every nationality to live uh, over the whole earth as determined by their, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So God's, God's setting something up here. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Here's, here's what I, I want to convey to you. And here's what I, I believe is Paul is saying. There's no accidental thing going on. God knows every single person by name. He knows what's going on in their life. He knows what, what, who, who he put in their life. He knows the circumstances of their life. He knows, right? When we talk about the gospel, right, we talk about that God does not get the address wrong. And we have to understand that. So God, the people that God has placed in your life, that address is not wrong. You might not like it. You might be irritated. You might shy away. You might be scared to death. But God didn't mess up. I just don't want to mess that up, right? I, I want to speak. I want to, I want to be an ambassador there. He's saying that he's right there. He's not far. He's, he's right there. Perhaps they might reach out and find him. For in him we live. In him we move and have our being. And he, he went on in talking about this crowd. He's preaching to a crowd. He says, even some of your own poets have said this, we're all his offspring. Have you ever heard that before? When people, oh, we're all children of God. Yeah, Paul used the same thing. He's like, you all say, you're all children. You're right. But what did he use it to do? To discount their belief. Here, he says, you're, we're all offspring. Well, since then we are God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or an image fashioned by human imagination. He says, listen, if we are God's offspring, then we can't make up God. If we are God's offspring, we are subjects of him. We are under an authority greater than ours, and we can't form our own God. Pretty good way to use that against, right? Like, let's, let's turn that around. You, know, you think you're a child of God. Well, 
are you or is God really your child? A long time ago, I, I was challenged with this question. Are you following God or are you just asking God to follow you? I think a lot of us just say, God, I, I like you kind of being in the back seat. I like you kind of walking along. With, I just, just come on, come, come with me. And when I need you really bad, just show up, do something big. But I, I'm just going to go about my thing and you're, yeah, you're, you're here with me. I'm going I'm to wear your t-shirt. I got it at the, and I'm going to, so everyone will know. But what does it mean to really follow Christ, right, and not ask him to follow us? It means that we follow him wherever he takes us, that, that we treat every relationship and every interaction as, as something that God didn't get wrong, and that we follow him into it, and we speak and be ambassadors and speak words of life and truth to people around us, that they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and saying that also says that they need to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. They need that. And here's, here's what he says. He goes on in Acts. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, right? God, God, so God having overlooked the times of ignorance. What times of ignorance? Those times when we thought we were in charge. The times we thought we could be God. The times we thought we could fashion and make God into our image. Having overlooked that, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. There's a need, right? We are sinful and separated from God. Our neighbors are sinful and separated from God. Our family are sinful and separated from God. There is a need to, to stop being ignorant about God and to repent of sin and turn in faith to Him and the love that He has poured out on the cross so that we can be made new. Now again, most of us, I, I'm guessing in this room, have, have experienced that, have trusted Christ, have come into relationship with Christ and now have His righteousness upon us. Some haven't. It, it's now that God is commanding God, right, the one that we're all offspring of, is commanding us to get over being ignorant and to repent of that and to turn instead to faith in Him. Because He has set a day when He is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man that He has appointed. By the man who He has appointed. Not us. A couple questions. And this is, you can write these down. These, these are questions that you can ask somebody but certainly ask yourself. When you talk to people who kind of are far out there and maybe they've created their own God, their own system, great question here. Who do you think that we will have to answer to in the end? Who do you think that we will have to answer to in the end? In the basis of every world-made or man-created religion, that answer is what? Me. If I, if I have a man-made religion, if I have a man-made God, if I have a man-made system that I've set up, at the very end of time, at judgment seat, who's sitting on it? Me. It's me. That's my system. That's where it falls apart because the truth is I'm not really sitting on it. Someone else is. That's God. But if we live like we're the judge, if we live like we can create our religious system, then the answer to the question, really honestly, who do I think I'll have to answer to in the end? is me, because I made it all up to begin with. So I'm the boss. I'm in charge. That's not, that's not truth, though, right? Next follow-up question to that. Well, who sets the parameters? Who sets the parameters by which we must live and obey? Because we see all kinds of religious systems out there, right? We see all kinds of weird religious mysticism stuff, and everyone's doing kind of their own thing. 
Who gets to set the rules? Who gets to set the parameters? Because I, I don't know about you, I don't think I'd like it if I, if I stood before the judgment seat and the parameters for me were different than you. And the, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you got your own way and I got my own way and everyone got their own way, th- then again, we're really the ones that are God's. So who gets to set the parameters? Pa- Paul is saying, listen, there's a day when he, the appointed one from God, remember the one that you're children of God, right? The, he's going to appoint the man, Jesus, to be the judge. And he's provided uh, proof of this by raising him from the dead. So, so he, he died and then he rose him from the dead. So death couldn't hold him. So what should our response be? What was the response there at Athens? When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Now listen, for two levels here. Personally for you, you may be hearing like, this is just kind of too much, I'm not into it. Maybe you're ridiculing what I'm thinking or saying. Okay. I think for most, again, you know, he's risen from the dead. He's proved that he's God. He has all authority. I'm going to yield to him. But when it comes to people that we share with, this is very freeing. As we open up our mouth and we share and we are ambassadors of life, we need to know some are going to ridicule us. But others said, hey, we'd like to hear more from you. You ever have that happen? Hey, can we talk about this some more? Yeah, you bet. We'll talk about it next time we meet. Right? I've, had, I've had so many of those conversations. They just want more, more talk and more time, and I'm, I'm happy to meet and talk with them. So some will ridicule and reject, right? Some will say, I want a little more talk. And then some, however, it says they joined him and believed. Some. Some did. Not all. Some. You know, we think we have, have to convince everyone that they need to be reconciled to God. And, and when we walk out thinking that I need to convince everybody I know of that truth, that becomes unbearable. And guess what we do? Nothing. It's like, I can't do it. Someone else else. No, you don't. It's just some. Just share. Share as much as you have chance to, and some will believe. Some will want more conversation. Some will say, uh, this is awkward. I don't want anything to do with this. Okay. Move on to the next person. But share. We need to share. Be a faithful ambassador with the gospel and let God be the one that does the convincing. Turn to Acts chapter 10 with me. Acts 10. Back a few pages here. <clears throat> Peter is going to speak here, and this is, this is more, Acts is kind of divided in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and chapter 10 happens to be the Judea and Samaria kind of section where we, where we land. So what is Peter doing to minister this? And this, this kind of fits with what Paul's conversation to the people of Athens was, so that's why I used that. And, and we'll see some of that here today. So in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34, Peter began to speak. He says, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So it's for you and I. Uh, he's available for everyone. He doesn't show favoritism. He's not only for the Jews. right? He's, he's, he's for everybody that would come to him in fear and reverence and believe. So everyone who fears him is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That's important, right? Again, we're ambassadors of life. Well, we're proclaiming this good news, this message of peace that's found through Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. He is Lord of all. Not a man-made, but he's Lord of all. Uh, You know the events that took place through all of Judea. Here we go, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. So we see, what, what does Jesus do in the, in the countryside of Samaria and Judea? What, he's, he's interacting with people who are, who are under the tyranny of the devil, who are under the oppression and, and depression, right? And, and, and God's like, I, I want to cure you, I want to free you. I want you to see me for who I am. I'm the one who can free you from all these chains of, of sin and everything you're enslaved to. That's what he's doing. He's also healing people physically. He's meeting physical needs. We'll see that in a minute in our next point. This is what Jesus is doing there. He said, and then uh, God was with him. He says, we ourselves, Peter's saying this, are witnesses of everything he did, both in the Judean countryside and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him. They killed him. They didn't want to hear the truth. They didn't want to be a part of that. They, they wanted their own power. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God, so they killed him. But God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. So what, what they tried to do was, was kill the good news. They tried to kill the peace that came through faith in Jesus Christ. They tried to kill him. But we are ambassadors of life, not of just a crucified Savior, but a crucified, buried, and risen Savior who gives life to all who believe. It goes on, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one. He is the one appointed by God, not man-made. He is the one. Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Again, we, there's an answer we're going to have to give. And all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. You know, the, the entire world is trying to earn something. They're trying to be good enough and, and do good enough and, and have a system of belief or religion that, that they can say, I, look what I did, I accomplished it. Every single person will fail. But Jesus didn't. Jesus did it all. And, and, and that's what we share. We, we, we look to Jesus and we we trust in Jesus, and we share, as ambassadors, we share Jesus. We share the life we can have in him, the hope we can have in him. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. What do, what do people living in our Samaria need? What are they longing for? A break. A break from their religious systems. A break from having to be perfect and, and having to earn their way. We all actually are hungry for that. We need rest, and he is the one who offers that. So as witnesses in, Jeru in Judea and Samaria, we need to understand that we are ambassadors of life, that we go out sharing, hey, there is life to be found, and it's not in your religious systems. In fact, the, the one that you claim is there's a God there, but it's man-made. He's actually not man-made, right? And you think you're a child of God. Well, well, we're under the authority of that child of God, and he's the one that gave us Jesus, and he's the one that gives us life and rest. We have that conversation. The, the next thing, how, do we, how are we witnesses in, in Judea and Samaria? Uh, a witness in Judea and Samaria will show and tell. Will show and tell. This became big for me as my kids started getting into elementary school, right? Show and tell. I'm like, that, that makes sense to me, right? And, and it's, they show something, an object off or a toy or whatever, and they tell about it. The same is true for us as we interact with people in our Samaria, right? Uh, we show and tell. Uh, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the woman at the well. This is the Samaritan woman. So if we want to see how we minister in Samaria, let's see how Jesus ministered in Samaria. Uh, as you turn there, the first thing I'd like you to understand is this. Jesus and, and, his, and his compadres 
would have typically gone around Samaria because Samaria was despised. Uh, let's walk on the other side of the street, right? And they would have gone around. But Jesus didn't, right? It was in God's plan and authority to go into Samaria. So if we want to start thinking about, I want to be in Samaria, I want to share with Samaritans, you need to go there. You need to be okay going to the, going to the store downtown and starting to build a rapport and a relationship and having a conversation. Well, you can't just hang around everyone that you love and like and that believe the same thing as you. We need to start to think, I need to be in, in this world. Not of the world, but I need to be in this world and participate in this world. So we're in John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Jesus is sitting there at the well, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, I want to just look at the first part of this, the show part. Jesus is at a well and he's a Jew and Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And, and Samaritans probably are like that way now too. They won't associate with Jews. But, but it, it says in the text, it's kind of one direction, right? You're unclean. You're, we don't want anything to do with you. So he's there. The Samaritan woman approaches. Someone that's an outcast already and she's there at the time of day where, where she's trying to hide something. And Jesus opens his mouth and speaks to her. He says, give me a drink. And it, it shocks her. Why does that shock her? You don't speak to Samaritans. And you don't certainly speak to Samaritan women. They are like the low of the low in society. But what does Jesus do? He esteems her. He, he values her. Now, she doesn't believe in him and yet, anyway, right? She's yeah, she believes all kinds of weird, wackadoo things that she shouldn't. But he gives her the time of day and says, you know what, I, I value you enough to speak to you. I, I value you enough even to ask you, would you give me a drink? There's a value there. There's a compassion that is had. There's a relational bridge that is being built. And I think that's really important when we talk about showing and telling, and when we live in the community, we have ideals, we have standards, we have these truths that we know. And, and oftentimes society is so far off of what we would believe is right here in the scriptures. And, and what do we do? We just kind of write them off. Like, I'm not going to associate with you. No, associate. Go, go, go show them how much you value them as people created in the image of God. Go, go give them uh, compassion or, or buy them lunch and interact. Go, go start and build a friendship and a relationship with them. Be compassionate because that leads to showing that, that we can be a means of grace and a gift of God. Jesus said, or she said, how are you doing this? Why are you, why are you speaking to me? He says, if you knew the gift of God, if you only knew what was available to you. You know, for me, I, I think when, when I go in the community, when I'm a part of an extracurricular thing or just in a grocery store or in a, um, in a restaurant in town and, and, or, or in, a, in another retail store, I want to build relationships. I just don't want to go in there, okay, blinders and do my thing and see you later. I want to have a conversation. I want to start and have a rapport with people. I want to show that I can be a means of grace and love towards somebody. Somebody that's created the image of, image of God. Somebody that one day will maybe believe and trust Christ as Savior. I want to show compassion and build a relationship. 
So Jesus did that. And, and then he starts talking about the gift of God and that, that if you only knew what I offered, you, you would ask me and I would give you eternal life or living water. And she goes on, uh, or she says, you, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me water? The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Aren't you, are, are, you, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. So kind of pulling in some of those words that Jesus is familiar with, and she knows he's familiar with, so she's kind of talking on that level. But no, I, we're, we're good, we're okay. No, it's different. He said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never thirst again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Again, life. Ambassadors of life, that was point number one. And, and now what we're doing, we're showing and telling. We're, we, we need to show that we love and have compassion for someone. And as we do that, as we build that rapport, they're, they're way more likely to engage in conversation and listen. right? And, and they may kind of balk at it a little bit, and she, she did that here too. But he's having a conversation with her about life, about eternal life. So my question for you and I is, are we, are we harsh in our communities? Are we standoffish in our communities? Do we walk into retail stores or, or into restaurants and just treat people kind of and like hands off, you're unclean, I don't want anything to do with you? Or do we try to engage? Do we try to smile and, and do we try to tip well because God is good? I, that's, that's one way my family does that. And I, you know, it's one thing to give a large tip, but it's another thing to say why. So I always like to give a great tip and write on my receipt a note about God and Jesus. Because I want them to know it wasn't, it wasn't just, I'm loaded with not. That's because Jesus is loaded with love for you. Do you have that rapport? Are you building that rapport with people? Or are you, are you just harsh? Do you stay away from relationships with unbelievers? We shouldn't. Uh, Proverbs 11.30 The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. What does that mean? It means that as you and I show we care and we love people, it brings life. It brings life. That's the fruit. If we're righteous. It's not, I'm not self-righteous. I've been made righteous by Jesus Christ. I've been forgiven from, from all kinds of things, just like everyone else needs to be. I'm not better than them. I'm just forgiven. And I want them to know that as well. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It goes on, and a wise person captivates people. A wise person captivates people. Kind of sounds like, like you're trying to be showy and kind of like manipulate, right? What does it mean? Uh, one of the translations, actually it was a CSB translation I read on Bible Gateway. Uh, it said, uh, a wise person takes lives. Like, wait a minute, no, no, no. That just doesn't seem right to me. I'm like, that's not, we're not going to be a bunch of killers out there. That's not what, but that's not really what the text means, right? Takes lives. The ESV, I liked how the translation of the ESV says this. The one time, the ESV, no. ESV says this, whoever captures souls is wise. Whoever captures souls. So the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. That's how our, our interaction should be with our community. That we should love people in that way deeply and, and richly where, where there's fruit coming out of our life. And, and, and there's something about their heart that starts getting attached to us. Like, wow, I, I'm, I'm going to endear myself towards you a little bit. I want to know more. I want... I want to see where your heart comes from. That's what it's like to be living in Samaria, in the world but not of the world. It's to be able to share that heart and say, I, I, I care for you, I love you. But my, 
the, the fruit from my life towards you, it, it's, it's real. It's not fake. I want to I help that capture people's souls. I want them to know that they can know the one that forgave me. They can know Jesus. And that's where it comes from. So any, any uh, credit or any kudos that you might get or I might get, it shouldn't be about us at all. It should be about God and what he's done in our hearts. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. We're to show and tell. We can show through the fruit of our lives. We can tell as we captivate people, as we capture souls. Romans, Paul says this, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You and I have an opportunity to be the kindness and, the, and be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world around us. It doesn't mean we shy away from hard truths. It, kindness has to lead us to what? What does kindness lead us to? Repentance. We get that, right? It, kindness isn't, it, it shouldn't lead us to just warm and fuzzy feelings. In kindness, we share that we are sinful and separated from God, and we need to repent of that and turn to faith in Jesus. Kindness leads us to what, what is that kindness? It's God's restraint. I mean, he could zap us dead now and be just in doing that, but he's, he's like, I'm patient. I'm overlooking this so you can come to faith in me and trust me. So we need to have those relationships with people. And it's God's kindness through us that leads people to repentance. And it's God's kindness as they learn of what he's done for them that leads them to repentance. But we are in the world, not of the world. Paul wrote this in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He says this, Although I am free from all and no one's slave, right? I, I don't need to fear anybody. I don't, I'm not bossed around by anybody at all. I have made myself a slave to everyone. Like, I, want, I want to serve them. I want to love them. I want to, them to experience uh, what, what Christ would have done for them. I want them to know him. He says, in order to win more people. So I become a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. To, although, although I myself am not under the law, I did it to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. But I did that in order to win those not under the law. There's a lot of stuff there, right? You can look that up on your own and, and you can do a, a deeper study. Paul, Paul goes on, he says, To the weak, I became the weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may, or I may be, uh, I'm sorry, I may by every possible means save some. Again, there's that word some, not all, but some. I become all things to all people. I, we should be in society, not of, like, becoming all things does not mean, like, I'm going to become a drug dealer tomorrow and be, it's, that's not, no. It's, but you can have a conversation with someone that may be a drug dealer, right, that you meet. You, you can talk to someone on their level. You, you can find out their interests, their hobbies. Right? It's, it's, it, we are all around. We are connected in so many ways within our community. And I hope you have more ways than just one or two. Whether it's a school system or it's a, a place of work, whether, whether it's a, an avenue of worship or maybe small groups that lead out of that, service opportunities, um, things that you do in our community or, or places you participate or restaurants you go. We are so connected in so many ways, on so many levels. So, so connect on those levels. And, 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 you know, people say, well, we, I'm tired of talking about sports and weather. If that's all you have to connect on, then connect. Become a weatherman to the, to the weatherman if you need to do that. Right? Become a sports aficionado if someone wants to talk about sports. Connect in some way. Start to connect. Start to develop and build a relationship because that compassionate relationship leads to showing that there's a gift in God and a means of grace, and it leads them to deeper 
conversations. And Paul said, I'm going to do that so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all of this because of the gospel, so I might share in the blessing. So what, what is a spiritual question you could ask somebody? Here's a spiritual question you can ask somebody. As you build a rapport, as you build a relationship, you've showed that, you, there's a fruit in that, what can you do to capture their soul? This is, this is a really tough question because it's not meant to like, actually get you information. Here's the question. Do you mind if I share what I believe? Do you mind if I share what I believe? Thank you. I know you're here. You don't mind if I share. But what about your neighbor? Could you ask them that? Like, I don't know how to share Christ. Just ask him if you can. That's how you do it. Hey, do you mind if, if I share what I believe? And this is, maybe this is through weeks or days or months of time talking with them and learning about them and getting to know them, hearing their story. Like, hey, you know, I heard this or you said this. Do you mind if I share what I believe? What can they say? Yep. Or, nope. Okay. If you don't ask, they're already saying no. Right? You've already lost that. But if you do ask and they say yes, then maybe someone will hear and be captivated by the love of Christ. Do you mind if I share what I believe? Last thing. Last point. So we've, we've done the ambassadors. We're ambassadors of life. We talk about how they can rest in Christ. They need that and not to make themselves their own idols. We talk about uh, show and tell. Right, that we show people the love of Christ and we, then we tell them about the love of Christ. And then finally, uh, witnesses in Judea and Samaria, they ask this question. Who's your one? Who's your one? This kind of ties in with what we started with. Who's your one? Listen, people everywhere put their trust in someone. People everywhere put their trust in someone. So we ask, who's your one. Acts. Going back to Acts, what Paul had said in verses 22 to 34 of 17. He stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you're extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of worship, I even found an altar to which was inscribed to an unknown God. To an unknown God. So get this. This is, people are they're trying to cover their bases. Like, we've got this God and this God and this God and this figure and this God. But there's God, we, maybe we're missing something, so they just marked to the unknown God. Okay, and just to cover all our bases, we got them all covered, right? It's like going into one of the shops downtown, you got it all covered. All the bases are there. Right? If you don't have them there, go across the street. You'll find another one. But that's what we're trying, the people are trying to do. They want, they want to have, be covered. Paul says, let me tell you about that unknown God. What you don't know, I do know about. I want to tell you. He says, uh, therefore, what you worship in ignorance and in, in, in not knowing, right, being unknown, I will proclaim this to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, He is Lord of heaven and earth. And He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. What does Paul say? It's all in Him. He says it's all about Him. Who's your one? So when we, when we have that question asking, who's your one? You can ask that. It kind of went on to uh, that question we had earlier about, you know, who are you going to answer to at the end? Who's your one? Who, who do you worship? What do you worship? We're going to find that out, right? Because we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that's important for us to know. So the challenge there is, is are you worshiping an unknown God? Are you worshiping, worshiping a man-made God? 
Now, for you and I, I really think this is important for us. Because you and I also need to answer that question. Who is your one? Who do you worship? And that should be every morning, right? We, hopefully you've settled that with Jesus, but then in the morning, are you worshiping your, your job, your relationship? You're worshiping money or success or fame? You're worshiping your kids? Who's your one? Who, who's the one that actually motivates? Who, in him, you live and move and have your being. Who's the one? We see this with a woman at the well. If we'll go back to John 4, our last passage today. John 4, let's, let's finish up what that conversation started earlier. He calls her out eventually, right, because she's had several different husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. He kind of, he sees what's going on in her life, points it out. All the while, this started with compassion and grace from him. So in verse 19 of chapter 4, Sir, the woman said, uh, I see that you're a prophet. And look what she says. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place of worship is in Jerusalem. There's going to be some tit for tat, right? Some give and take. When we talk to people in Samaria, when we talk to those people in our outskirts in our community, they're going to say, well, I believe, or well, I think our ancestors said this, and will you say this? There's like this fight, this battle going on. And there is, there's a battle in the heart. They want to keep what they have established as true, and we believe in the one that is true, the Lord Jesus. So there's this battle going on. So she had that, that we, our ancestors worship here, and you do this. Um, who's, who's your one? Who's the one going to be? Is it going to be your ancestors or is it going to be the Lord Jesus? Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He said, it's not about that. Right? He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But, either way, an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The, the conversation he's saying is not about where you think you're going to worship, because you, you go to whatever church you want, and if the heart's not there, it doesn't matter. Jesus wants your heart. He wants you to worship from here and yield yourself from here to Him. And the woman said, so her knowledge is still there. She's talking kind of God talk. I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. What is she saying? Uh, I'll fi we'll figure it out eventually. I know that, that, that the Messiah is going to come, and I'll relate to you on that, but, but you don't have the answer, and I don't have the answer. What does Jesus say? I, the one speaking to you, am he. Who's your one? Are, are you still settling for... Well, I, one day I'll get it all figured out, and one day it's going to come to me, and I'll, it'll be, bling, I get it. All the while, Jesus is right there saying, I'm the one. I should be your one. That Messiah you're waiting for, those answers you're waiting for, I'm the one. So for you and I, we have to answer that in our own heart. Who's your one? And then we need to answer, ask that question of those around us who, who, and identify. Who, who's their one? What, who is it that they're worshiping? And are they waiting for a Messiah that's already come and already said, here I am? And then the last thing I want you to do. I want you to answer this question. Who's your one? Not one and only God, but who's the one person that God is placing on your heart right now? Who's that person you know that God has not got the address wrong, 
Who's that one person that's like, you know what? I, I need to start opening my mouth with that person. I need, I need to build a rapport and relationship. I need to show and tell. I need to be like that proverb said. I, I need to have that fruit of righteousness that's a tree of life in my, my life so that I can captivate people or, or capture souls. Who's your one going to be? And I, I want you to think about that today. And we're going to think about that next week also because I, I really, and I, I, I hesitated before I was going to say this to you. Because I've told you many times before, stop just inviting your friends to church. Right? Th this is not the end all. This is where we grow and we know and we learn and we share and we, we, we encourage one another. This is, this is God's church. But if all you and I are doing is inviting a friend to church and not inviting them to Christ, we've got the wrong one. Because listen, I'm not the Messiah for your friend. You can't just think, well, if Brandon would speak, they'll, they'll come to Christ. No, that's not true. God is going to do something in their heart, and maybe if you would speak, they would come to Christ. You have a relationship. So I, I want to tell you that as a preface, right? I, I want you to not just invite your friends to church, but invite them to Christ. Invite them to see your life and to experience what you've experienced and to know your story and what God has done through Christ in you. But I would love for you to consider this one on your list and consider bringing them on Easter Sunday to hear about the resurrection, the victory that is only found in Jesus Christ. And, and let that be a spur to continue the, your conversation with them afterwards. Like it's not going to be an end all. It's going to be a, a diving board that you're springboarding off of and then you go into the deep end with them when you leave. Have those conversations. Because uh, what we know about people is that on Easter and Christmas, they may attend church. And what we also know about people is a, a great percentage of them would actually come if you invited them. Personally, like not just, because I, I, I don't mind, I'll put a thing in the paper, I'll go on the street, hey, everyone come to church. It, it's a personal invitation is what people respond to. Who's your one? Who do you know that God's saying, this is the person, invite them. And, and start that conversation, start that dialogue. But again, it's got to be real to you. You've got, you have to know and settle in that he's made you new. And be ready to share the life that he has given you as well. Amen? All right. Would you stand with me? And we're going to just close our service time with some responsive worship together. And I'm going to pray for us. I'll have the worship team come back up. Our kids will come back in and join us and, uh, and worship the Lord Jesus as well. I'm sure they have had a great time in their children's church. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll respond in worship. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. God, thank you for allowing us to be ambassadors. And God, that, that is such a daunting thing that we look at. But Lord, I pray that you would help us with your power, with your spirit, to just to trust you as that you don't get the address wrong. And God, that when we see people, we aren't afraid of them. We're, we're afraid for them. And we want them to know the life, the rest that they can have through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us be the best ambassadors possible to show and to tell everywhere we go always proclaiming Christ as supreme. God, now as we enter a time of worship, may, may it be a time to respond in our heart to you and what your word has said. God, may it be a time to sing the word of God to our own hearts, to preach it to our hearts. God, to sing it to one another and God, to hold on to these truths that we might be shaped and challenged and changed by them. Help us to be obedient and to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name.